Hey, listen, I think summer's come. I think it has. I got out of bed. It's 15 degrees, 8 o'clock in the morning. I mean, wow. You're obviously really, obviously I'm happy about that. But like the north is like, yeah, happens like that all the time here. Not. I don't know about you. Anyway, so my name's James and uh, I guess my job today is to bring uh, God's word to us and to open up scriptures and we believe in the Bible as a church and we love to wrestle with it and look at it and try and work out some of these truths and how they affect our lives and how we can employ them in our lives. But as And we're going to continue in this series in 2 Corinthians. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. And please be, you know, you can uh, uh, speak to us, you know, back, you know, we like a bit of interaction. Um, If you could achieve anything, what would it be? If you could achieve anything, what would it be? Do you have some things on your bucket list that you would love to do? Places to go? People to see? Come on, you lot. North? Have you? Yeah, someone wants to go on a cruise? Anything else? You know? What kind of things are on that list? What kind of things would you like to achieve in life? Have you got some goals? Have you got some targets? Some things that you want to do? Now, I don't know about you, but some of you know me quite well. Some of you don't know me from Adam. But um, in our house, we've done these like personality profiles. And as a staff, we've done them, uh, them as well. And uh, I didn't realize this, but my wife has known this for a long time. It's funny that, isn't it? Um, your wife knows a lot more about you than you know about you. But uh, uh, I realized that I'm actually quite wired for achievement. This manifests itself most Saturdays in our house. So I don't know what you guys do on a Saturday, but like lots of people, it's Saturday, it's your day off. You're like, ah, those of you that don't have children of a particular age, it's like, we can stay in bed again. Those of you that don't have kids, you might just do that anyway, you know. Um, I don't know, what do you do on a Saturday, guys? Some of you work, okay. Oh, right, all right, you know. Or on your day off, I should have rephrased it. Well, I get up, and I can't help it, because there was a time in my life when, you know, I could do nothing. But now, oh, no, 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 I have to get up, I need to do some stuff. So quite often, even if it's just, you know, doing the garden, you know, mowing the lawn, um, washing the car. Um, yes, you know, actually last Saturday I had like one of those Saturdays where when I got into bed I thought, wow, I have achieved everything I needed to achieve today. Anybody else feel like that? I got up in the morning, I went for a 25 kilometer cycle, I thought, woo. That's not bad. No, it's relative because I know there are people in the room who are like, yeah, I do that every day. They say that. I mean, that's, you know, I did that. I came home. I, I mowed the lawn. I washed the car. I cleaned the gutters out in the house. I thought, hey, I'm doing all right. By four o'clock, I then went to the gym. I thought, yeah. And then I, uh, that evening, I cooked dinner for my family. And then I sat down at 8 o'clock, I thought I'd just check my notes for tomorrow because I was preaching, and so I did some of that, and then at about 11 o'clock, I got into bed and I thought, I have achieved today. <laughs> Anybody else operate like this, or it's just I'm a weirdo? No? It's okay, fellow weirdos, it's okay. So, so, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. so the deal is this, though, life isn't always about achieving things. I didn't, did you realize that? 
It's not just about achieving. Even, even here in church, we put a huge emphasis on achievement, on having a goal, having something that we're working towards. Don't get me wrong, this stuff is good. You know, the scriptures clearly say without vision, we die. We need vision. We need to be working towards something. But actually, it's not just how we, uh, not just achieving, it's not the end goal that's always the important thing. It's how you get there. Victoria is from a fairly large family, my wife. So there's four kids, mum and dad, and then uh, and they would add gran into the mix. Now you think, oh, that's okay, that's not a particularly big family. It is when you decide to go to France on holiday, and some of you would experience it because you're of a particular age, and you all pile into the Ford Cortina estate. All of them. And the deal was this is you kind of, what do you call it, pick straws or whatever to see who was going to sit next to Gran. I mean, honestly, she was hilarious. She had a wig and everything, you know. I mean, it was, anyway. So, so they would pick straws. Who's going to end up sitting next to Gran and who would be in the boot? Now, who remembers the days where you put the suitcases in the boot of the car and then someone would lie on top of those cases? And you're, so you're driving down the M1 or whatever, you know, and you've got somebody in the boot. This doesn't happen today. This is not allowed. But there was a time in Britain when health and safety did not rule. <laughs> and those of us would lie on the back. On the, uh, it, oh, oh, no. There you go. My antics. Uh, would lie on, you know, on the suitcases. It was brilliant. See, kids, you, you guys don't experience this stuff. But the deal was this. The destination was France, a holiday in France, towing a caravan as well, by the way, you know, but the, but the thing is, the aim was also just to make sure not too much blood was spilt in the back seat, because when you spend 15 hours in a car like that, you know, that is hard work, isn't it? The deal is this, it's not just about where you're going, it's also about how you get there. Thank you, Scott. You're very kind. It's okay. Just leave it. A little bit of water is not going to harm anyone. You can do it. Just leave it. It's fine. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Cool. So it's about how we get there. It's not just about getting there. We're in this 2 Corinthians series, and Paul wants to emphasize something that actually who we become is actually more important than what we do. There's a there, we're going to kick off this passage, uh, chapter 4, and it says, therefore. So when you hear a therefore, you need to check in with what's just gone before, don't you? Because something's been said, and then he says, and now, therefore, and he makes another statement. Let's just remind ourselves of what he said before, because he's actually talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, he says, now the, the Lord is the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit of Christ, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. What an amazing statement. He's saying the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, and wherever the Spirit of Christ is, there is freedom. There is potential freedom for you and me. So think about it like this. If you're maybe new to church, and this whole kind of like, Christianity thing is fairly new and you're kind of, you know, trying to work it all out. Maybe you've been reading the Bible and you've been reading about Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, 
the possibility of freedom went with him. You know, there's this, and I guess there's a lovely little story in a moment that encapsulates this, where Jesus is in this guy's house, and so many people want to hear what he's saying, that they cram in, you know, possibly a hundred people in this tiny house. And the, these, these four friends bring this one guy who's, who's struggling to walk, he, you know, he's lame. And they get to the house, and they can't get access to the house because too many people are there. So what do they do? I love it. They get radical. They're like, we're getting in there, but we're going to do something different. So they climb on the roof, rip the roof open. I mean, that's a whole new story, isn't it? I mean, that right there. You know, it's not their house, but they're ripping the roof off it. But bet that blessed them, wouldn't it? You know, can you imagine that happening in Tilly Drone or, you know, in Northfield or whatever, you know, or just down the road? Your next door neighbors can't get in, so they rip your roof off. But that blesses you. Anyway, so then the, the guy's there, and they, they lower him down because they want to get him right in front of Jesus. That's what it says. They lower him down right in front of Jesus, and Jesus does two things. He sets him free on the inside as well as the outside. He, talk, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Everyone in the room goes, what? You can't do that. You're, what? Only God can do that. And then he says, just so you all know, that God has given me permission to do this, you can get up now and walk. The guy jumps up. It says he leaps up and runs out of the house in joy. I'd like to have been there that day. What Paul is saying here is the same spirit that did all of that is the same Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in you and me when we give our lives to Jesus. The same possible power is now residing in you and me to bring freedom to our lives. So I don't know some, I mean, I know some of your stories in this room, but I don't know everybody's. And right now, I want to ask a question. Do you feel restricted in any area of your life? Do you feel that there's some, you know, you constantly come back around to the same thing? Well, I want to tell you now, Good news is this, life no longer has to be cyclic. It's going somewhere. How cool is that? Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it's going somewhere. And as you read a little bit further on, it says, where are we going? We are being changed into his image. The great goal the great journey of the Christian life isn't just doing stuff for God. It's becoming like him. And so Paul is saying these statements and then he says a therefore. And then we're going to look at the passage. All right? It's going to come up on the screen. You good? Are you with me? North, give me a hoo-ha or something. Yeah, you know, I need some feedback, okay? All right, let's open up. Let's read. Okay. Therefore. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
And then he says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then we're going to skip down to verse 16, another, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, now, when you read that, there is a lot in there, okay? And so I want to just kind of flesh out a few things for us this morning. When the Holy Spirit comes and um, resides in us, he's going to start a transforming work in us. How many of us love change in life? We just quite, we like change. The whole of the north side does not like change. That is a problem, people. Is that true? Seriously. Come on, who, who, who likes a bit of change in life? A bit of variety. Keep your hands up. Yeah, yeah. Make your mind up. Commit. Okay, okay, we've got that. What about this side of the room? Ben, you good with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, a few people. All right, now, 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 now those of you that maybe not quite so good with change, like things to stay as they are. That's a, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Let's put your hands in the air. Okay. Those of us that like change, we're going to pray for the guys that don't, you know, that struggle with them a little bit. But I'll tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because when you become a Christian, you sign up for change. Okay, we sign up for change because we're going to change. Because when the Spirit of God comes into us, he's like a compass that produces godly character. He is the one that's going to change us. Now, uh, I want to introduce you. It's Father's Day. I want to introduce you to a man in my life, one of my heroes. He's still my hero. I love him a bit. He's 75. He is my dad. There he is, my dad. Woo, what a handsome guy. That's where I get my looks. Yeah, that's where I get my baldness. That's where I get my nose. And sadly, that's where I'm probably going to get my tummy. <laughs> you see, the genetics are strong in this family. You know, the juice genetics are strong. I know where I'm going. That's where I'm going. It's not all bad, you know. But that's the, that's the, that is the deal. You see, when I look at my father... I see myself in my father. When my father looks at me, he sees himself in me. When my nan, you know, my, my grand, my nan, she's from, 
she's blessed her, she's gone on to be with the Lord. But when we were in the room together with my dad's mum, and, and he's from Sheffield, so they'd be like, by Eka, Jamie, you look like your father, crumbs. In fact, you look like your granddad, Jack. See, and she'd go off on one. In fact, she'd call me John quite often. She'd be like, all right, John, I mean, Jamie. And it's constant, you know, because we look really alike. And the reality is this, I have my father in me. I am being transformed into my father. And the spirit of God comes into us. He brings the father's character to dwell in us. This is why Paul says this interesting uh, thing. He says, guys, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. The reality is this, when God's spirit comes into us and brings God's character into our lives, there are some things that we can no longer do. In fact, it is no longer compatible with certain things because he wants, he's bringing God's character to be born in us. And so there are three Ds that Paul says he doesn't do anymore. The first one is this, I don't do um, shameful and secretive things. In other words, he's saying, I don't do things that would bring disgrace upon myself or those around me. I'm not doing disgraceful things. I'm not sinning in secret. I'm not bringing shame upon others because that's not God's character. And God's character and spirit is at work in my life. God's DNA is at work in me. God isn't disgraceful. He's gracious. And that's different. He also then says, um, I don't use deception any longer. I don't deceive people. I don't do anything that's hidden. I don't deliberately mislead people. There's nothing clandestine about my character anymore. Why? Because God doesn't operate like that. It's not in the Father's character to, you know, to do that. And, the, and God's character, his compass, his spirit is now living in me. And then the final thing is, is we don't distort We don't distort the word of God. We don't twist it. We don't twist the scriptures. We don't lift stuff out of context to serve our own purposes. He says, that's wrong. In fact, you know me. I preach what the scriptures say. And actually, it's not to benefit me. In fact, more often than not, it's cost me. It's cost me. And so... There's a shift in terms of how Paul's character has changed because God's spirit is at work in him. The father is now at work in us to transform us into his likeness through his character, this compass, this inner compass. Because all of the other behaviors are contrary to how God operates. And then he says this statement, and we commend ourselves before the conscience of men and God. What's going on there? You see, I'm living now in a transparent life. This inner compass is bringing about character change. And therefore, what's going on there is, you see, all of us believe certain things, don't we? We believe certain things about God. We, we love Jesus. We believe that. We know actually what it means to live a holy life. If we're really honest, we know what that looks like. We believe some stuff, but the reality is we behave in a particular way at times. And sometimes our behavior doesn't match what we believe. 
or is that just me? But I think that's the great, the great challenge of being a Christian. But the Holy Spirit comes in and works on our characters because he wants to move the gap, shrink the gap between what we believe and actually how we behave. And when those two things come closer and closer together, what are, what's happening there? We're becoming changed into his likeness. We become and have become people with spiritual integrity. And actually, let's be honest, when those things come together, we reflect him more and more. And actually, there's a power thing that happens there as well. Maybe that's when we start to think about what does Christian, successful Christian living look like? Because all of us would love a formula, wouldn't we? Apply X plus Y and you'll get Z. You know, we'd just love it, wouldn't we, if it was just as simple as that. But it's not. And so Paul is speaking into a congregation and a community that is living with lots and lots of different pressures, lots and lots of different temptations. And it's difficult to live in that environment when you know that you want to be better. And I've been thinking about Daniel this last couple of weeks. Here is a man, if you know know anything of the Old Testament and the Bible stories, this is a guy who was captured he was a, like a royal son. He was a bit like a prince. But he, he was captured and taken into captivity and slavery in another land. And we know that Paul calls himself a slave. He calls himself, I'm a captured man of Jesus. And so here is Daniel, a captured man who's given his heart to God. He's now living in a foreign land and he wants to live a life of integrity with enormous pressures. He outlives three kings. He escapes the furnace and a fire and obviously lion's den as well. He's an extraordinary character. I think all of us would go, Daniel had a successful spiritual life. He lived well in that land. What was the key? All the way through Daniel's life, it says this about him. It says, every day, Daniel, three times a day, went to his room. He opened the shutters on his window, looking out to Jerusalem. And it says, and he bowed down, and he worshipped, and he prayed. What he was doing was... Three times a day, he was surrendering to the work of God in his life. He was living a surrendered life, and he was inviting the Spirit of God to come and dwell in him. And he would respond accordingly. Towards, uh, on a number of occasions throughout Daniel's life, people became very jealous of him. The satraps and other leaders, and they went looking to find skeletons in his closet because they wanted to pin some dirt on him they never found a skeleton in his closet do you know why because the holy spirit had already been there and cleared it out it's good isn't it the spirit of god is the great compass that produces character 
in our lives. It's not just about pursuing the destination. It's about becoming the person God wants us to be in character. That's one of the first things that Paul wants us to get a hold of this morning. And then the great news is this. Is that it's not the Holy Spirit doesn't just tell us, you know, this is the direction to go in. He's also the very power to bring change into our lives. So we're not having to try and make character modifications by our own strength. It's about as we surrender to him, he does the changing in us. Look at this, um, a little bit on in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. All-surpassing power in clay jars. What's Paul saying? He's saying we're common, we're fragile, we're a little bit brittle, dare I say somewhat cracked containers of God's glorious power. All of us, we're a little bit cracked. We're the containers of God's power in our lives. I was reading a little bit the other day about the Three Gorge Dam in, uh, on the Yangtze River in China. I love, anyone else watch programs like Superstructures and Big Engineering Thing? We love it. Robert the back is he's like, yes, I'm an engineer. I love it. You know, bigger the better. You know, we love all that kind of stuff, you know. Coal movers, the size of this, you know, building, you know, things like that. Anyway, so this dam in China, you know, it's the second largest dam in the world. And obviously, it backs up water for like miles. There's this incredible, serene lake that contains trillions and trillions of uh, liters of water. But what does that, all that lake represent? That lake represents potential power, doesn't it? Because in the dam, in the substructure of the dam, are sluice gates, but it takes somebody, the engineers, to go in there to press what I think would be a big red button, you know, let's hit the button, hit the button, and then suddenly the sluice gates open, and what we see then is this hidden power suddenly being released, and suddenly we see the effects of it as trillions of liters of water come cascading through those sluice gates. We see the power. But not only that, it produces 121 gigawatts of energy. No, that was Doc Brown from, from Back to the Future. It does, though. It, you know, like electric. So it's, we see the power, and then it's also producing power that brings life to millions and millions of people. We have a power, a reservoir power of God in each of our lives. This is what Paul's getting at. But it needs releasing. What releases this power in and through our lives? What is the valve in our lives that we need to open up, that needs to become active? Paul says it here. He says it twice. He says we carry around in us the death of Jesus so that life of Jesus may be revealed in our mortal bodies isn't that interesting there's got to be a death 
so that life can come. Something has to die to bring life to others. We have to hit the death button in our own lives. What I mean by that is there are moments in our lives when we can choose our, selfish, our own selfish desires, can't we? We all know what that looks like. We can actually go, I'm not hitting the red button of self, selfish, selflessness, but I'm going to hit the button of selfishness. In that moment, the sluice gates stay shut. We choose ourselves. But when we hit the button that says, I am going to prefer Ali over myself today. I want to bless him. I want to honor him. I want to be generous to him. I'm, what am I doing? I am embracing something of the death of the crucifixion of Christ and that is now going live in my life. When I want to be selfish, when I am, um, when I, you know, there's a situation happening and I can feel anger beginning to grow in my life. And actually, I know hand on heart, this is not righteous anger. I'm getting angry because actually I'm not getting my own way. What am I doing? I am definitely not hitting the right button. I am hitting the button that says I want to serve me and not the other. What Paul is saying here, we carry around in us the substructure of our lives, the death of Jesus. Jesus chose to die so that he can bring life to you and me. You know, this principle of the cross isn't just being plucked, you know, it's just, God didn't just make it up. He, it's in the very fabric of the universe. You ever thought about this? Think about this. Today, I'm going, oh, the sun sun was out a minute ago. I'm like, the summer has come. The sun, this great big ball of fire that brings light and warmth and life to you and me is actually dying. It's dying. It's on a trajectory of death. It might take millions of years or whatever, but it is. It's dying to bring life to you and me. I mean, I don't know about you. What's your favorite fruit? I love mangoes. There is just something about a mango that just does. You know that thing that a dog does when you, like, if you, like, like, you scratch its chest and a little leg goes like that? No? When I eat a mango, I'm like, oh, gosh, that's good. You know? No? Is that just me? Come on now, people. You're laughing. You're like, that's me. I don't do my leg. It's my arm. There are certain things, but that mango, as I bite into that mango, that mango has been plucked from a tree. It has traveled towards me by various means, hopefully without killing the rest of the planet. But it's come to me, and I've bitten into it, and it's dying, and now it's bringing life to me. Paul's saying there is a power residing in you and me that needs to be released and it is released when we embrace the crucifixion of Christ, the cross. When we apply that into our lives, there is a dynamic power that is released. So if that's true, and I look at us today as a church, I look at myself, there are times I'm frustrated because I'm not seeing the 121 gigawatts of power that I think is potentially available. And so I'm asking a question. Is the cross really at work in my life? I believe it is. 
but I want to choose it more and more. I want to choose that button. I want to apply that button to my life so that his power would not only benefit me, but actually run through me and begin to affect the people around me. And the people around me would see, and re- would see Jesus more clearly. Imagine that for us as individuals. Imagine that as a sight. We begin to pursue that sacrificial attitude more and more in those little, little things. Can you imagine the presence of God on a Sunday when we get together? If all week we've been operating like that? Can you imagine what could happen? I think 121 gigawatts of power would come piling in here. And lives would be transformed. Maybe lame people would then jump up and run out in joy. But we've got to hit the sluice gate. Got to hit the button. Paul's saying here. And so to wrap up and to land, he's saying all of this power is in jars of clay. (laughs) Nothing fancy about these jars of clay, people. These were the answers, they were the ancient world's answer to the takeaway containers of today. That's what they were. Archaeologists keep finding these just common clay pots. And they were used for all sorts of things. What Paul is saying, that is you and me. There's nothing brilliant about you and me. There's nothing really particularly strong about you and me. We are weak. We are easily cracked. Some of us a little bit more so than others, if you know what I mean. But you know, we're there. We're just broken, cracked containers. But what is residing in us is far, far greater. Because we want people to see him, not us. Do you see that? We want his light to to, 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 touch, to touch their lives. Not my light, his light. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It's just a truth, isn't it? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before him. And when you think about all of the heroes of the Bible, there wasn't anything particularly strong about them other than they said, I'm available. I'm available. Use this crack container, God, and do something with it. David, the least of his family, the forgotten son, His dad didn't even acknowledge him. On Father's Day, I want to say to you today, the Father knows you, even if your earthly father doesn't. And you are a container that he loves and he wants to use and he wants to draw you into his presence. Gideon, he was was a nobody. He He was the youngest as well. Peter, a fisherman. Just a normal loon from Fraserborough. No, actually he wasn't. You get the drift. We're just normal people, common and cracked, that contain the greatest power in the universe. And that power is released when we embrace the cross. And then finally, you know what? We've got an inner eternity that will one day become reality. I just want to break it to you now. I'm really sorry to say this. It's no secret. 
We're getting older. We're getting older. This clay jar is not working the way it could or should. I've got to be careful who I look at now. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Because the reality is this. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm 45, but I am living in total denial. All right? So so it's just the way it is. So I don't know how it works for you guys, but the alarm goes off in the morning. I roll over. Now, just bear with me. We've got quite a low bed. It's a bit low. I wish I need a jacket up, I think. I think as you get older, you need a higher bed. But I roll out of bed, and, and because it's so low, I, I roll onto my knees out of the bed. And then I slowly get up. And then, you know, it's like everything's not working. You know, it's like this thing needs oil and WD-40. You know, when you're in your 20s, you're like, the, the arm went off. It's like, let's meet the day. Now it's like I've got to work with a Zimmer frame just to get going. You know, put some lubricant here. You know, what's going on? I get... Go downstairs. First thing I do in the morning, I want a cup of tea because I can't even do anything without a cup of tea. I'm going down the stairs sideways. I can't even walk down them normally. This jar is not working properly. Paul says, doesn't he, right at the end there, we are wasting away. That's good news, isn't it? (laughs) He came to church today to find out that you are wasting away. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's very uplifting. Appreciate it. I read this article the other day. It was like a, I don't know, sports thing. And it said, you're born, you die. I thought, brilliant. We're doing really, this is so positive. But in one sense, it's true. So I don't know. I mean, some of you are medical in this room. So here's the deal. Generally speaking, blokes, when they reach 27, Matt, how old are you? Uh, 22. 22. Any 27-year-olds in the room? 27. When a guy hits 27, Nathan, you're going to be praying for all of us in a minute. Because when you're 27, guys, here's the deal. You are in your prime. You are the strongest, the fastest you will ever be. From then on, it's all downhill. (laughs) Ladies, I think it's 30. So, you know, it's around about there, they say. So, so for us guys who are in our 40s, 50s, 60s and above, I mean, we are like decrepit. This is it. You know, what hope is there? This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this body, this life, this jar of clay, it is momentary. It is going to fade away. Look at what he says. He says this. Thank goodness he says this. Therefore... Do not lose heart. You were born, you're going to die. But therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Wow. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, as we get older, this body is going to break down. But... Our inner relationship with God will get stronger. So it's like this double trajectory. This body's heading for a physical grave, but this inner life is heading for an eternal destination. It's like something is separating out. The body is going, but the spirit is growing. Now, I've been in ministry 20 years now. 
And I've had the privilege to marry people. And, you know, at 27, the world is everything. And you bless them and all. I've also had the privilege, and I say privilege, to bury people. And I have sat on the bedsides of, of people literally like minutes and hours before they go to be with the Lord. I was sat with a friend of mine, his dad, a couple of years ago um, at Roxburgh House. This guy loves Jesus and he knows Jesus. Let me tell you, his body, this jar was wasting away. There was not a lot left. In fact, to be honest, it was about to turn to dust, if to use that analogy. There was not a lot of life in his body left. And I sat with him, and I looked him in the eye, and he looked me in the eye, and he just said, James. I said, and he just looked at me, and he just said, James, I am ready. I am ready. I mean, it was powerful. I, I mean... The presence of God in the room was extraordinary. And he's going, I'm ready. I know God. I know Jesus. And I am ready to go and meet him. He was so alive. Let me put it that way. His eternal kind of relationship, um, connection with God was so much more alive. And his body was about to pass away. Paul is saying we are going to get older. But in the other, and the flip side is, on the inside, we're going to get younger. We're going to become more alive the older we get. The more we pursue him, the more surrendered we become to Jesus, the more secure, the more hope, the more affirmed we are, then our inner eternity will become so burning bright and apparent. I could not miss it that day when I sat with him. This is what Paul is wanting to last land on. He's saying, let's get perspective right. The perspective is this. Let's not fix our eyes on things that are momentary, transitory. Let's fix our eyes on things that are eternal. And actually, he's saying there, doesn't he, in momentary, that sometimes there are momentary troubles. How many of us have troubles? And it doesn't, when you're in the middle of troubles, it doesn't feel momentary, does it? It feels really real. It can feel actually unbelievably overwhelming. And so you could easily say to Paul, Paul, it, you, you talk about troubles, but let me tell you, it doesn't feel temporary. It feels really in my face, and it feels like it's happening for a long, long, long time. You know what Paul would say to you and me? He'd say, you think you got troubles? He'd do, the, he'd do the, 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 the Nick Dundee thing, the Crocodile Dundee moment. You know, some of you are looking at me like, what is he? He's off on one now. There was a film in the late 80s called Crocodile Dundee. Some of you, who remembers it? Come on, let's just, yeah, a good few. You have never seen, Cro listen guys, your, this worship leader needs to see Crocodile Dundee. All right? So there's a moment. Crocodile Dundee is a crocodile hunter. And uh, long story, he's taken out of Australia and he's in New York. And he's walking down a New York street. And uh, this guy, this, this, this punk, comes up to him with a flick knife. And he says, yeah, I'll give you money. And Nick Dundee just takes one look at him. And he goes, good eye, mate. If you think that's a knife, that ain't a knife, mate. Let me show you a knife. And he pulls out this enormous machete. I call it the Nick Dun Dundee 
um, kind of perspective. You see, we think we've got troubles, but Paul would go, you, let me, let, hold on a minute, let me explain what troubles look like. Persecution, being left for dead, shipwrecked, illness, 40 lashes. Oh, that's a perspective moment. I'm suddenly going, yes, uh, getting woken up in the middle of the night by the party next door was a bit of an issue. I've got troubles. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because let's be honest, sometimes us Christians are like proper complainers about a load of rubbish. And Paul's going, oh, let me just talk about trouble. It is, it is real, but it's not lasting forever. It's transitory. It is momentary. And he says, so what are we going to fix our eyes on? Let's land there and wrap up. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is unseen. So what are you going to fix your eyes on this week? The momentary physical stuff of life or we're going to look beyond that to an eternal one and invite the Holy Spirit who's this great compass to change our character to be more like Jesus are we going to say Holy Spirit I want to hit the button that says self-sacrifice so we see the power of God at work in and through me I want that 121 gigawatts of power in fact, Doc Brown would say the 121 gigawatts of power, you need that to time travel. We need the cross to time travel to our everyday situations. When we hit that button, that's what happens.